This is Learn From Others, where we interview a cross-section of successful individuals so you can learn from their experiences, achievements, and even their mistakes. We ask four questions that will educate and inspire. Greg Stanley will be your guide as we join our guests on a journey from adolescent daydreaming to success in today's world. Join us on this adventure as we learn from others together. Welcome to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. I'm very excited to introduce our special guest today, Alicia Tidwell. Alicia, how are you doing today? I am doing very well. Well, thank you so much for taking us on your career journey. Well, before we find out what you're actually doing today, would you please tell us, what did you want to be when you grew up? In actuality, Greg, I wanted to be a chef because I love to cook, <laughs> and I had started a, a business in my head. Never put it from implement, from creation to implementation. Right. But I already had a name that you are what you eat. Oh, nice. I had to cook for my siblings because my parents worked second shift. So that was my charge in our family. And I learned how to cook from reading cookbooks, experimenting, and blowing up some recipes. But inevitably, I came became a very good cook. So I wanted to be a chef. Now, what age was this? Well, I probably in the teenage years because I felt as though that since I was good at it and people don't think that you have to be really prolific at cooking, but you do in order for people to love what you eat. So it was probably in my teen years because that's when my dad went on second shift and my mom had transferred jobs as well. So my older sister and I was in charge of our younger siblings. She and I cleaned together. She ironed and I cooked. Wow, that's really amazing. I I have a little bit of a passion for cooking and I've always wanted to take a sauce class. I never Uh have, (laughs) but I've always wanted to do that. So, well, that's great. Well, what was one of your favorite subjects or hobbies while in school? I actually used to like history. And the reason why I liked history History was because of Mr. Rubin Dunn. He was the teacher of history when I was in uh, high school. He made it interesting. He made it fun. So I did. I loved history, and I was I got good grades in it. Wow, that's awesome. Well, what was your first actual real job? One you where you felt like you had some responsibilities and you wanted to perform well. That would be babysitting my cousin's children. They both worked at nighttime as well and on the weekend. So babysitting was my first really paid job. I got paid a dollar an hour, and I thought that was a lot of money at the time, but needless to say, with the babysitting websites that you have now, people get paid a lot more money than that. But that was my (laughs) first real paid job, babysitting my cousin's children. And that actually does have a lot of responsibilities, taking care of kids, for sure. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Well, if you would, tell us, what do you do today? And if you would, walk us through your days from babysitting and your career path up to today. Up to today? Well, let's start back um, when I got out of high school. I opted not to go to college. So I had to decide what I wanted to do because at that time I was married and I had children. So I went to work in a factory. It was called Georgia Pacific. My mom worked there. So needless to say, she helped me get the job. She got me to the table, but I got myself the job. I want to make right. that perfectly clear because people can get you to the table, but only you can get yourself the job. Perfect. Yep. I got the job. It was in a factory. Had never worked in a factory before because prior to that, I had been a cashier for a grocery store by the name of Liberal. But George Pacific was going to pay me a lot more money. I was responsible for my three children. So I had to make sure that I had a livable wage coming into my home. So I worked at factory for 22 years. I decided if I had to be there in 130 degree heat, I would make as much money as I could. <laughs> and I asked them <laughs> who made the most money in the department where I was. And they said a cutter. And I said, okay. 
what do I do to become a cutter? You had to go through an apprenticeship program. It took me two years, but I was the first African-American woman at that company that became a cutter. Now, what does a cutter do exactly? Remember your labels on your downy bottle? Yes. Okay. That downy bottle goes through a process, and it is made out of the plastic, and then it goes through another process, and the label gets on that bottle. We cut the label down to size, and that's what a cutter was. I cut it in squares. It went through another machine, cut it to the shape that goes on the bottle. Came down the line in a hundred sheets at a time with probably a thousand on a sheet. And I cut those to size. Wow, that's really cool. So you had this goal, a financial goal at the time, and you yeah. asked, how am I going to achieve this? And you went out and you did it. So that's really cool. Absolutely. So from there, after working with the organization for 22 years, it closed up because it got bought in an acquisition through another organization. And I thought, okay. So what do I do now? So one of my colleagues at the time said, Alicia, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to go home and watch all my children for two weeks because I have never not worked. So that's exactly what I did, Greg. For two weeks, I didn't do anything. I had to come up with another plan, another strategy as to what would my next be. And my next would be reinventing myself because I didn't have any computer skills, so to speak, because the world had truly changed for the workforce. Needless to say, I could um, computerize the machine for it to automatically cut those labels aside, but right. to actually go out and operate a uh, computer in corporate America, I did not have those skills. So I went back to school. I came up with a game plan. I went to school for two years to get my skill sets together in regards to communication, being prolific in Microsoft Suite, and anything else that I needed in order for me to make myself marketable. I had to reinvent myself for the very first time, and it was not the last time that I had to reinvent either. So doing that, I started attending job fairs. I got in collections in regards to uh, delinquent accounts for a mortgage company. And again, here it was, since I was responsible for my family, who makes the most money here? And they said the people back there by the window. It was the foreclosure department. And I worked my way through the mortgage company to get to the foreclosure department. And it was an opportunity for me to make more money to make sure I had a living wage to take care of my children. I worked there for five years. I helped families save their homes to make sure that they were not outdoors because we all run up against things in our life that are going to make us do and make decisions that may not be good at the time. But we do the best we can with what we have at that time. So the Rewarding aspect for me was I helped families stay together. They did not lose their homes. So inevitably, learning that skill helped me help other people later on. That company got uh, bought in the acquisition as well, and I said, so what is your next? What are you going to do? And I started marketing myself. Again, reinvention. How do I get to corporate America? My daughter is a beautician by trade. Generally, I went and got my hair done in her salon on a Saturday. Unfortunately, she didn't have room for me. I had to go on a Sunday. When I got there, one of her clients worked for Lazotica, and I had a pair of glasses on, and she asked me, those glasses are very nice. I said, thank you. She said, are they ours? And I said, ours as in who? She said, Lazotica. And I said, no, I bought these from a mom-and-pop operation but do you work for Lazotica? And she said, yes, I do. I said, are they hiring? She said, yes, we are. I said, would you mind taking my resume? 
and she did, and the rest is history. Wow. The moral to that story is, is that you're going to get some opportunities that you don't think that are worthy, but it's all a setup. Had I went on a Saturday, I would have missed her. Right. But I went on a Sunday, so it set me up to get my neck. And you never know where the opportunity is going to come from. I went and I interviewed in front of six people, and on the seventh person, I said, why so many people? He said, it's hard to get in here but it'll be worth the reward when you do, and it was. So right. I ended up there for 14 years. Now tell us, what did you do there? I'm assuming you didn't just sit in one job for those 14 years. I'm assuming you continued to pursue. I, I did not. I started as an entry-level employee because I had an immense amount of collections experience. I went in through our internal and collections department, and again, I said, who makes the most money in here? And they said, we have a job opportunity for you. I went to the Pearl brand um, after I had applied and got the job, always looking for other opportunities. You can't sit on your laurels. So I always marketed myself. I speak to everyone. I knew people in different departments cross-functionally. I work with them in regards to collections. So I had built a network internally inside the organization, making sure that you are visible, making sure that you're professional, making sure that your image is right and tight, making sure that you're always exposed, and I was. So there was any volunteer opportunities, I took them to get exposed to the upper echelon of the company and to the C-suite leaders of the organization. I started as an entry-level employee. I went to the Borough brand as a franchise coordinator. I worked with 356 stores to make sure that those stores were able to operate fluidly to meet the customer need. I went from there to be a culture team manager that managed our employee resource groups at the organization, and ultimately I ended up being the senior manager of diversity inclusion for Lazotica North America. So that was trajectory there. Right, and what I love about what you're telling me is you're not driven by money. You're driven by how do I handle my responsibilities in a better way? You know, you want to manage your responsibilities, and I love that. Absolutely, because at the end of the day, each progression gives you more responsibility. Being able to manage 356 stores at the time, you've got people calling, they're looking for products, you've got a customer standing in front of me, or in front of the employee in the store, Alicia, I don't have those frames. Those lenses did not come in. So what I had to do was learn how to work with different departments throughout the organization. The beauty of it is is that I got hired on a Monday. On a Wednesday, Kevin Boyle, who was my manager at the time, says, I'm going out of town. And I said, okay, so who's going to be here with me? And he says, no. And I said, what is it that you want me to do? He said, you know the body of work. You'll figure it out. And he went, he, he was gone for three days. And Greg, I figured it out. And what I didn't know, I got up and found an answer to make sure that I was helping those stores. People always came to me because they said, Alicia will find an answer. Because you have internal and external customers. I had to meet my customers' needs. And I got up and I went and found an answer. And when Kevin came back, he said, how did things go? And I said, they went well. He said, I knew you'd figure it out. <laughs> he had that faith in you right off the bat. Absolutely, because when he interviewed me, I was not prolific in Excel. He says, the only shortcoming that you have is that you're not uh, prolific in Excel. You don't know how to do a pivotal table. And I looked at him and I said, well, if someone came off the street, would you not have to train them? And he said, yeah. I said, then train me and you will not be sorry. 
Wow. And he gave me the job. That's awesome. So there was an obstacle you had to overcome during the interview, and you did it well. That's amazing. That's really great. Yes. That's my career trajectory at Lozotico. Had great opportunities to be exposed to every aspect of the business, being how I had to help our brands uh, come up with diversity and inclusion strategies for the brands that lateraled up to the overarching brand of the organization. So I interfaced with senior leaders at all times, all the way down to frontline associates, work with our compliance department, work with our marketing department to make sure that there was reflection of diversity in our, even in our ads. Every aspect of the business model I was privy to, and that's the epitome of exposure. So being in those roles have helped me to be fluid in even my own consulting business now. I learned Business 101. And business acumen is very important in regards to knowing what it is your model does and how you bring to the profit. Because right. all of us have to show responsibility, credibility, and profitability in order for your organization to keep you. Right, exactly. Yeah, and speak, if you would, speak for a little bit about your consulting firm. You know, how does that work day to day? What's your average work week like? Who are the types of folks you are interacting with? Well, after I left Lazotica four years ago, I decided, well, I took a hiatus. I didn't do anything for 15 months, the first time in my life that I did not work. So anything I dreamed that I wanted to do, I did. And then uh, I had been in business with a colleague, and I was the one that was out here hitting the ground running, getting all the business. And I said, well, if I can work with him and he gets a bit a bit of the profit. Why can't I just work by myself? And I decided to go independent. So I came up and my faith means everything to me. I mm -hmm. prayed about it. God gave me the name in my sleep. It's called Genesis 1 Consulting. Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. It is number one. It's the beginning. And mm -hmm. that's what it has been the beginning for me. I needed a tagline. Uh, he came to me in my sleep again, and he says, with you from beginning to the end. So that's my company's tagline. Genesis One Consulting is with you from beginning to end. So it all came to me in my sleep from above, whatever you call your higher power. So I started consulting with um, members of the community who had been prolific in entrepreneurship. Here again, another time I'm reinventing myself. I'm changing my brand from a corporate leader to an entrepreneur in the community. So we have a mantra of diversity and inclusion, HR benefits, and HR solutions. On a day-to-day -day basis, I'm in a community talking to people about what we offer them. It's a very competitive business here in the city of Cincinnati. Everybody is a subject matter expert in something. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel or boil the ocean. So some of my clients have been the University of Cincinnati, uh, nursing department, Beckfield College, Winton Woods organization. I just go out and talk to them why it is important for them to have diversity and inclusion in their business model. It is a must, not a plus, because it is a revenue driver. People right. want to see people that look like them when they go into an establishment, but if they don't, at least you can develop your associates to understand the buying power of different demographics. So that is some of the things that I do. So on a day-to-day -day basis, generally, four, five, six hours, it depends. There's evenings when I'm out and talking to potential clients and going to an event. I do work for Healthcare Access now as a consultant, but I am a community engagement specialist there to get her brand out in the community in regards to low to moderate income people. 
to help them to become economically viable for themselves and the community. Wow, that's really impressive. And it's really quite the need out there. So I would imagine that your phone is ringing a lot. It is. I get my fair share. I do. I get my fair share. Wow, that's great. As a reminder, you can check out all previous episodes at learnfromothers.org. And if if you are an educator or a student, you can search for podcasts by career cluster and additional resources are under the resource tab. So, Alicia, we learned what you wanted to be when you grew up, which was a chef what your first job was, which was a babysitter, and what you do today. So if you could do yes. it all over again, what would you do differently? The one thing that I would say that I would do all over again, because my dad offered all four of his children a college education, mm. I did not take the opportunity. And I can't say, uh, some kids would say they didn't have that opportunity. That was not so in our household. My father believed in education, both of my parents, even though that they were both laborers. They had worked very hard to make sure that we lived in a stable household. Every move that we made was a move for the better, and there was an expectation that you shall be great. So if I had to change anything, Greg, that would be the one thing that I would have changed. I would have taken the opportunity to go to higher ed. Okay. Well, let's make the assumption that someone in our audience wants to do what you do. Now, define that as you will as the owner of a consulting firm, as an independent consultant, however you want to define that, what advice would you give them? The advice I would give would make sure that you're sure. I had to really reevaluate what my next would be. And notice I've used that word a lot. What is your next? We don't think about that and we're really not prepared. But again, getting your own personal strategy, sitting down with you to understand where you were, where you're going, and where you want to be. For me, I happen to have a really robust career having the opportunity to work with different organizations now, that is the thing that you need to be sure, even when you're not sure, that you can step out on faith and know that this is what I am meant to do and meant to be. So having that confidence and the skill set that you have acquired through your journey to stand on that and know that you can't compete, again, not reinventing the wheel, not boiling the ocean, just standing on my faith and my security, knowing that I am a subject matter expert in what I do, And what I bring differently is what I am. Again, you are competing against individuals and organizations, but they're not you. I have a non-compete clause. Only person that I compete against is myself. So, again, every day I want to be better. What is it that I'm doing to ensure that I'm kicking the covers off every day, getting up, going out, and making the world better, and on top of that, assuring that I have a revenue stream that comes in to make sure that I'm living the lifestyle that I so choose, but again, making sure that you're sure about you first and foremost, because if you're not people, it's the imposter syndrome. Somebody's going to reveal you one day because you're not sure. And it is the game, any uh, business model that you're competing to show that you are worthy of that business. And those are the things that we have to do. My one client that I'm working with now, Lawn Life, uh, in the business of changing students' lives, giving them their first real job, it's very rewarding to see a student that has had a lot of mitigating circumstances in their life but be able to come out on the other side. And as you go and grow, that's what you want to do. You want to impact. Awards are great, but if you haven't impacted anyone, it's all fruitile. Right. No, very good advice. I love that. I also love your get your next, your get my next. I love that phrase that you yes. referenced what there a few next? times. Right. And I kind of challenge people that, what is your next? There's no way I could have worked at Lazotica or Multicolor or Georgia Pacific for 22 years and 14 years and still be in the same position. 
that's not growth. That's not growth as a personal uh, professional. It's not growth. You should always be growing in some kind of way that you can look back when you reevaluate what your year has been like. And I do. At the beginning of the year, I write my goals down. I write my strategy as to how I'm going to achieve them. And on December the 31st at midnight after I come home from church, I pull that out and say, so where do we stand? What did we do? What did we accomplish? What do we need to take over into the next year? I break my goals down by quarters. That's how businesses are ran, quarterly goals. So that's how I operate my own life, and professionally and personally. I work in quarters. Do I need to take something from one quarter to the next because the time frame did not work out? So it's all of those things being self-aware that you have to be, especially being an African-American woman. You just have to be always on the ready, not getting ready, but being ready. Now, you have the title for your book. When are you going to write it? (laughs) (laughs) It's just life lessons. It's just my life lessons, and I share them freely with everyone. I mentor a lot of people because I am true and authentic. I'm never on stage. What you see is what you get. I know my audience at all times. I'm not going to talk to my friends the way that I would talk to my CEO. My vernacular is going to be different. It's all of those things that you learn going along in, a, in order to present your brand. Alicia Tidwell's brand is just important as Procter & Gamble, just as important as Google, just as important as Amazon. I am a walking brand, and people don't look at themselves that way. I'm just as important as Croak in order for me to have the revenue stream that I have and present myself to my clients because their brand is connected to my brand, and my brand is connected to theirs. People have to look at themselves differently in the workplace nowadays in regards to what are you presenting. I go by this premise of performance, image, and exposure. Performance is only 10% of the equation. The image is only 30%. What do people see when they see Alicia Tidwell? And then the 60% of who am I exposed to? My network is my wealth. My network will get me in the door. My network will get me the job. My network will bring a client to me. So it's all of those things that I've used along the journey and become very prolific at it and very protective of it as well, of my network, so that because it is my wealth, it's not always the person that's sitting in front of you, Greg, that's going to get you to your next. It may be somebody behind them. But if I don't sit in front of that person, I can't get to the person behind. Wow, that's amazing and awesome advice. Well, are there any current projects you're working on that you would like to share? I would say my relationship with Cincinnati Public Schools has always been very, very good. Changing children's lives or students' lives to help them see their future more clear. I am working with a client right now that he has a partnership with Cincinnati Public Schools, changing the trajectory of students' lives to get them to their next whatever it may be for them to be economically viable and don't go to the left, more to the right, that you can come out and you can be okay. So that is one of my primary clients to work with CPS and this other organization for kids who are uh, on the cusp of not graduating so we can help them get across the stage to their next. When I came on as a consulting for them, their only main focus was getting the student across the stage. I said, well, that's all and well fine, but what are they going to do after they get off the stage? Right. Where, the, where are they going to go? What do we, how, how are we setting up them for success? 
So Cincinnati Public Schools has the three E's, and we're um, bound by that as well, educate, enlist, and employ, enroll, I'm sorry. So we, we, we go by that too. So we're going to be very successful the year out of the 17 kids. We have 16 that's going to graduate, and they're going to either go into the workforce, they're going to go to college, or they're going to enlist. So to me, that's impact. Mm-hmm. My job now, because my career has been has done a 180, so I have to go back and reevaluate where I am as a human being and what's truly important to me. What's important to me at this time is impact. How do I impact people's lives to help make them better, ultimately helps make me better, and that's what creates my legacy. Wow, that's really fantastic. That's amazing. Well, as with most journeys, success largely depends on reliable transportation. And we don't know each other, but I'm a huge car enthusiast. So for my own curiosity, could you tell me what was your first car? My first car was a yellow Vega. And it was I, that's a, a kind of a neat car. <laughs> it was. Oh, my God. I can sit here today and still see that car. I was so proud of myself and me and my dad or my dad and I, I should say, we went and found it. My dad said, are you sure about this? And I said, yes, sir, I am. So that was my very first car. Uh, I did not take care of it very well, and I would say it was a learning process for me. So, again, another opportunity that um, it's all in well fine what you get, but if you don't take care of it, you won't have it for long. So that was the learning for me as a woman in regards to learning how to take care of a car saying to my dad, well, I need to get an oil change. Because my dad told me, he said, it's your responsibility now, and it's your responsibility to figure it out. And it ultimately I did, but through trial and error. So that was my very first car. Well, what is your dream car? My dream car is the dream car that I have to this day. It is a Range Rover Sport. Oh, those are, those are gorgeous. Oh, my God. I worked 30 years to get that car. And every time I get in it, even even though I've had it for three years now, I feel so blessed. The car says to me, I achieved some goals that I had. Every year, I wrote that down. And it took several, many years for me to get it. I believe that we have the power to speak things that be not as though they were. So every time I seen a Range Rover, I would point and said, I'm going to get that. And my grandson, he said, Grandma, I remember it every time we seen that. And we would look and say, we're going to get that. I ultimately ended up with my dream car, a Range Rover Sport, black with tan interior, sunroof, all the bells and whistles. <laughs> That's really awesome. Well, one great perk to some jobs is a company car. So if I had all the money in the world, I'd love to get you a company car based on your job. Now, yours was fun, and what's interesting is yours actually harkened back to one of my earlier interviews. I interviewed Rick Terrell, who is the global or who is the global labor relations manager for Procter and Gamble, and his dream car was a Cadillac. And the reason being is his parents moved up in the 1960s to the Midwest as part of the African-American migration that came with the manufacturing plants that GM was putting up here. So mm-hmm. he wanted a he wanted a Cadillac as a way to honor his parents' journey that wow. led to his success. So you're all about diversity and inclusion. Well, in the 60s, they had, they had multiple brands Chevy was entry level, then it was Pontiac, then it was Oldsmobile, then it was Buick, and the top of the line was Cadillac. So it kind of goes with that as well to include all in some form. Uh, And so I picked for you as your cool company car. It's a 2009 because that's the last year they made it, but it's the Cadillac XLR 
which is based on the Corvette. So it's a two-seater convertible Cadillac. Wow. Yeah, so that's the car I picked for you. (laughs) It's amazing that you would say that, Greg, because the car that I had prior to me purchasing my Range Rover was a Volvo convertible. Oh, nice. It was a Volvo convertible. It was the very first car that I was able to go out and buy on my own after my divorce. And everybody wanted to go with me, but I was so adamant about doing this on my own. And I had did the research because I had had Volvos all my life. So I thought, well, this is going to be my last, but I wanted something cool. So I researched (laughs) this convertible Volvo. I went out and I did it on my own. And when I got to the car lot, um, the, uh, the gentleman and I was negotiating, and I told him, I said, hold that thought. Well, my daughter is a manager at a local credit union, and she was working that Saturday. I said, okay, Trina, I need the blue book price, and this is where (laughs) we are. And she said, Mom, you can go lower. You can go lower. And I put her on hold, and I went back in there, and I said, I think you can go lower. And he looked at me. He (laughs) said, ma'am, I don't know if we can go any lower than that. I said, you need to get your manager. And he looked at me, and I had her on the phone at the same time. She was listening in. I thought that I had put her on mute, but she was listening in. (laughs) And it was so hilarious after everything was over and done. And she said, you go, girl. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, I did that. So That's awesome. Being confident in oneself, knowing that you are able, even if you make a mistake, it's a teachable moment. Right. Every mistake that we make along the journey is a teachable moment. But, Greg, the journey is worth the reward. I wouldn't change one other than one thing in my life other than me not going to higher ed. But at the end of the day, I graduated from the School of Hard Knocks, Kumasun Laude, and I would put my degree (laughs) against any Ph.D. this side of the Pecos because I have prolific life lessons that most people will never be able to achieve. So... I used to be so intimidated when I first started my career in regards to everybody at the table had degrees and I did not. And I had to get over that because at mm-hmm. the day, I was at the table because I had a specialty and I mm-hmm. had to realize that. And once I got over that, it was game on. And most people to this day still don't realize that I don't have a college degree because I am prolific at what I do. I'm the professional profession. That's all that matters. Your experience and expertise. Absolutely. Right. That's all that matters. I am a SME. I am a subject matter expert. And I'm good at what I do. And I'm okay with that in my space. And I stay in my lane. So I don't actually have the car right now for you to drive. But you can go to learnfromothers.org and see a picture of it right now. Okay. I sure will. Well, thank you so much for taking us on your career journey today. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you or your company? Um, you can go to Alicia Tidwell 56 at yahoo.com. Awesome. That's great. Well, thanks so much for taking us on your career journey today. All right. Thank you so very much for the opportunity. It has been a blessing. Thank you for listening to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. Where will our next adventure take us? Subscribe to find out. If you know of someone who has a cool career story or occupation, contact Greg through Instagram at Greg Stanley LFO. That's G-R-E-G-S-T-A-N-L-E-Y-L-F-O. And we will see you soon as we learn from others together.